time, everybody. It is time for Apollos Watered, a podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God so that you might saturate your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. And today on our show, I want to talk about something pretty serious, and that is Apollos the Man. Now, I know that might not seem serious to you, but really, he has something to say to our time that I believe is quite serious. Because today is a very fearful time for many of us the world over. I don't care what country you're in, what your city, state, village is, we are all a little bit fearful at where our world is headed, and I'm talking about collectively. I'm not just talking about us in the West, but the world over. For many of us, we do not know what the future holds. We are nervous about what is going to happen to our world, our culture, our families, our our careers, our education, our finances, our security, everything. Everything has been upended. For many of us, we're tempted to, to be a little bit like turtles, just to retreat back into our shells, hoping that everything will pass. We like to just stream some Netflix or watch YouTube videos, and let's just keep doing that until this time is over. And that is not what God has for us. I know that many of us are fearful. And just for a moment, I'd like us to go back in time to see the world that Apollos lived in. And when we do, we're going to see that there are parallels. When we go back in time and we examine the lives of the early Christians, we find that there was a lot of confusion, there was a lot of misunderstanding, there was a lot of labeling and shunning and shaming and blame and confusion over the person of Jesus. And there always is. No matter what culture Jesus comes into, he causes a ruckus because he demands allegiance. He calls us unto himself. He says and testifies that this world is evil. And that he came to save a people out of the world. And when we look back to these early Christians, we see that they still follow Jesus despite the cost. Cost that I don't think we in the West understand very well. Because we have been so comfortable for so long and things are starting to be upended. We're seeing those comforts slowly being eroded away and it's causing us to think differently. And there are some bad things that come with that and some very good things that come from that because it inevitably purifies our faith and brings us back to an understanding of who Jesus is. Fear abounded in the ancient world and all kinds of fears that we don't really think about today. There was the fear of being put out of the synagogue for those who were Jewish believers, who were becoming believers in Jesus and saw him as the promised Messiah who was to come. And that was a big deal because in essence, that meant that you were being put out of the community. It wasn't just something that you did on Shabbat or on Saturdays, that it was the center of life as everyone knew it. And to be put out of the synagogue meant that all of your social relationships would be totally cut off. You would have been isolated, and it's not like we have in our cities today where you can leave a church and go find someplace else, and people may not even ever know each other. But in the ancient world, that's not how it was. These synagogues were really the center of Jewish life. And for those who weren't Jewish, they still were in danger of being put out of their families as they turned from their pagan gods to the one true God, and it was very difficult I know many that are listening to my voice are still feel, or, or are feeling the ramifications of their choice to follow Jesus now. 
It might mean that the government is denying you an opportunity to own property or taking away your ancestral lands. It could be a variety of things. You could have a loss of job or not being advanced in your career because of your faith. There is a tremendous cost to following Jesus. There is a cost. There is a cost today. In the West, it's predominantly a cost of label and legality. There is the cost of being labeled all kinds of things. Bigot, homophobe, intolerant, hypocrite, perhaps even a fascist. And whatever term that they can get to stick, they're going to throw at us. Whether they're true or not, sometimes people just make things up or they just think that this might work. I'm not even sure if they even know the definition of what they're saying, but it's just a means of controlling and putting down in order to put you into your place and hopefully relegate you into silence and shame. For shame becomes the shadow that covers the shine of our faith. It can be a dark time for many of us, and our enemies are many. But when you pare them down, they exist as three, kind of an unholy trinity of sorts, because the three in many ways are one. Because this, this, it, our enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil, which I like to call the three-headed dragon. The three-headed dragon wants to destroy your soul, your family, and your faith, and, and will use any means necessary at his disposal to do it. Now, these three are separate, but come together to discredit the name of Christ. They work together, often hand in hand. The world is a carbon monoxide of culture that cannot be smelled or tasted, but is deadly to your soul, pervading almost every single hallway of our spiritual homes. The world, or otherwise known as the spirit of the age, is anti-God. It is the culmination of thought of this fallen world that makes sin look normal and righteousness looks strange. And then there is the flesh, the unredeemed part of our humanity that loves sin and is anti-God, that we have that indwells us. And we have to kill that, to mortify it. That's what the ancients understood, that we are to put to death this fallen flesh that wars against God. And we do that by taking in the things of God. And then our third enemy is the devil himself, the evil one and his angels the enemy of God and humanity who desires nothing more than to rob, to destroy, and to kill. The three come together to war against us, and we need to be on guard against this three-headed dragon that uses the means of lies as well as intimidation. He wants to destroy you, and if he can't destroy you, then he will do just as well to distract you, to keep you busy with so many pleasures that you can't do anything. As leadership guru John Maxwell said, distraction is the enemy of direction. And if he can't destroy or distract, then he wants to discourage by keeping the threat of danger always in your mind. He wants to intimidate you into silence. We cannot be ignorant of the devil's scheme, nor can we be silent. Instead, we need to look back to the cloud of witnesses that Hebrews talks about, these spiritual ancestors, and learn from them. And one of those spiritual ancestors is none other than Apollos, who some scholars believe actually wrote the book of Hebrews. Who was Apollos, after all? <laughs> and this show is called Apollos Watered. 
I want to take a moment to explain who this man is and why he is relevant to our world today. The first mention that we have of Apollos is in Acts chapter 18, verse 24 through 28. We're introduced to him there, and I want to read it for us. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. I want to zoom in a bit on Apollos. He was a Jew who lived in the city of Alexandria, which is in Egypt. Jews had been in Alexandria for about 300 years at this time, and this city had a reputation in the ancient world of being a center of learning, boasting the world's largest library at one time. We don't know what his educational level was, but we do know that he was an eloquent man. He was articulate, and he knew what he was talking about. He knew the scriptures well. Even though he had been instructed in the way of God, someone had taught him the scriptures, and he spent his time learning the word, the, the will of God, the works and all of God's ways, and, and, but it was very limited. He only knew the baptism of Jesus by John. It's incredible when we're hearing about him that he was so eloquent and he was zealous. Matter of fact, the scripture says that he was fervent in spirit. Now, the word that of fervent here refers to boiling water, like bubbling over because it is hot enough to boil. He had great zeal. He was ardently passionate, literally boiling with interest or desire. He was deeply passionate about God, and it overflowed to those around him. And his, his, the content of his message was Jesus, which is awesome. But it's incredible to think that he was preaching about Jesus, even though he didn't know about the crucifixion yet. He didn't know about his life. He didn't know about all of his miracles. He only knew about the baptism of John. That's absolutely astounding that he would be so passionate and he'd only have a small sliver of information. He acted on what he knew. He didn't know a ton of information. He knew only a little bit and he acted on it. He, he knew about the Christ coming from the Old Testament because he did know the scriptures. And that's what Jews were referring to at that time is they're looking back at those scriptures. Paul's letters weren't considered scripture yet. I mean, they hadn't even been written at this time. So we have him looking back over the Old Testament. He knows about the coming Messiah and he acts talking about the baptism of John because he recognized that Jesus is the Christ. There is so much that we do not know in our world today. I mean, this is where the parallel comes. We think that we don't know so much and therefore we remain silent. And we, do, we need to act on what we do know. We may not know everything. We may never become theologians or scholars or academics, but we can be true to what we do know about who Jesus is. And then we need to act on that. And that should give us courage. We cannot believe the devil's lies that all these things are going to come against us. Now, there will be things that do come, but so often we intimidate ourselves into silence thinking that we're never going to know all the answers. Therefore, we do not speak. And that is a tragedy. Apollos acted on what he knew. He spoke 
boldly in the synagogue. That was the world that he knew. There was something familiar about it, but that familiar can be hard, especially when you were speaking about something that not everyone there agreed with. He may have grown up in the synagogue, he knew how it worked, but to be in a different city preaching at this synagogue about Jesus being the Christ, knowing that there was a persecution that had developed because of it, and knowing that he could be rejected and even put out and shamed and had all of these things happen to him, he still did it. He was courageous, and he spoke boldly. Now, I am sure that Priscilla and Aquila were impressed by him. We were introduced to them at the beginning of chapter 18, the same chapter where we learn about Apollos. Aquila and Priscilla, they appear before that, and we're given a bit of their biography as well. They were also Jews who had become believers in Jesus. We know that they had lived in Italy, but they had been kicked out because Claudius had kicked out of the Jews out of Rome. They were, like Paul, tent makers by trade and went to Corinth, which is how they met Paul. He shared the message of Jesus with them, and they became believers in Jesus and joined in the ministry at Corinth during Paul's year and a half stay there. When Paul left to sail to Antioch of Syria, he brought them along. They stopped off in Ephesus, a port city, where Paul ministered for a bit and then journeyed on while he left them behind. That's where they met Apollos. Seeing his zeal for God, hearing his competence in the scriptures, but also recognizing that he needed further instruction, they pulled him aside and explained the way of God more accurately. Apollos wished to go to Achaia, And the brothers encouraged and wrote to the disciples to welcome him, acting as brokers, if you will, mediators for him. In Achaia, God's hand was upon him, and he greatly helped those who through God's wondrous grace had believed. It was an encouragement to them because he refuted the Jews in public. He was bold. I mean, we know what this is like. When we see someone who is boldly testifying about something that we believe in, we are encouraged and emboldened all the more. And that's who Apollos was. He refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ, God's anointed, his chosen one, was in fact Jesus. There are some lessons that I want to draw from Apollos' life and ministry, especially in this time of confusion in which we are living. Like Apollos, we may not know everything that is coming at us. We may not know how to answer every question. We know enough to proclaim to others that Jesus is the Christ. And when you think about it, we know so much. We have access to more information than we have ever had in all of eternity. And in fact, I would say, I would dare to say that many of those who are listening to my voice right now have already heard more sermons than many of the people of the ancient world had, especially in the early church. Many of them only heard Paul speak just a couple of times. They didn't have access to all the information that we have today. And yet we still think we do not know that much. And that's not true. We know more than we realize. Like Apollos, we may not know everything that is coming at us. We do know enough to proclaim to others that Jesus is the Christ. You may lament that you don't know enough, but like John Newton, the great slaver who became a Christian and wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace, said, Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. 
He understood that full well because he was a really big and great slaver, but he saw the evil of his ways. He repented of it, embraced Christ, and turned from his old life and embraced Jesus and then sought to follow him and make his name known. Newton also said this, a quote that I believe is completely relevant to where each one of us are at today and what we are thinking. He said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world, but still I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. We are who we are because of the grace of God. You are who you are because of the grace of God. We know that we are not perfect. You know that you are not perfect. And we know that we are not what we ought to be or even what we want to be. But we also know that we are not who we were. God is changing us. He is changing you. And you may not recognize it, but he is slowly, sometimes even imperceptibly, changing you. And we must keep that forefront in our minds. It is so easy to get discouraged and think about our failures. But the great thing that we have to keep remembering is that we have a fabulous Savior who is, a- who is able to forgive us of the greatest of failures, who forgives us and gives us strength. God is not asking you to be the next Billy Graham or this great Christian saint. He is simply asking you to be you, to be obedient to what he shows you, to serve him where you are, to speak about him to your sphere of influence in your world. He is asking you to live and to speak and to testify for the glory of his name. But there's more there. Another lesson that we can draw from Apollos' life is that he was teachable, and so too do we need to be. We need to learn from those who are more mature than we are. We often have to swallow our pride. Apollos was always learning and willing to accept instruction, even though he was a powerful preacher himself and had learned a lot. Alexandria was a center of Jewish life and learning in the first century. It would have been easy for Apollos to assume that he had it all together, that he had nothing to learn from others, even Jewish exiles from Rome, but he didn't. He was humble enough to learn, to grow under the watering of others, and in turn, water the church. One thing that we want to do at Apollos Watered is to learn from others who have gone before or who are more mature in the faith. We are not experts. But we know those who are, and we want to learn from them. Apollos was also not afraid to serve and interact with others different from himself. His zeal took him from Alexandria in Egypt to Ephesus in Asia Minor, which is now modern Turkey, to Corinth in Achaia, which is now Greece. Frustrated at the divisions of the church of Corinth, he actually went to minister on the island of Crete where Titus was serving, and then returned after Paul's letters to the Corinthians healed the schism. And then it was there that he became an elder. He cared about people from all over the ancient world, and so too must we. We are to care about the people in our modern world because the nations are all around us. I don't know what country you're from or what culture you live in. I don't know what city or village that you may find yourself. But I do know that our God cares about people all over the world, no matter how 
if they were low-born or high-born, if they have a lot of education or a low amount of education, no matter what their ethnicity, no matter what their background, male, female, and all kinds of those individuals who have done sins that we cannot begin to imagine. God cares about them. And he wants us to reach out, to speak to those who are longing to hear the good news about who he is and what God has done through the cross of Jesus Christ to bring about man's redemption and his salvation. We need to be bold. In order to build relationships like this, we're going to get the raised eyebrows of friends and family alike, people wonder, wondering and why are we crossing such boundaries? Why are we building such relationships, even when they can be difficult and they can be uncomfortable? But God is calling us to because he wants to bring salvation, he wants to bring unity, and he wants to show the world his glory and his grace. Just as Apollo sought to minister to people different than himself, so too must we. We want to be able to serve alongside in whatever way we can. We also want to learn from others. We don't know everything about who God is. In fact, there are things about the scriptures that we often fail to see because of our own cultural blind spots that brothers and sisters from other cultural backgrounds see quite easily. We exist at Apollos Water to help water the faith of believers around the world, but we know that we cannot water others easily water others if we do not first ourselves get watered. We want to be watered by others so that we can water the faith of others. And this requires us to be bold, just like Apollos was. He was boiling over for Christ, even going so far in his zeal and courage to confront and refute those who were trying to keep the name of Christ down. We need to be bold. Our time necessitates it. We may not be refuting crowds of Jews like Apollos was. It may be simply a family discussion or a, a conversation with a friend. It might be with a classmate or a neighbor or a co-worker. It may be online or it may be in person. But whatever the case may be, it's going to take courage. And that means knowing who it is you believe in. If you want to water your world, you have to first water your faith. We want to help you in that. We want to water your faith so that you can water your world. Someone cared enough to water his faith so that he could water his world. And that watering enabled him to travel the empire and minister across boundaries of class, gender, and ethnicity. That's how incredible Apollos was. And even more incredible, the God of Apollos. You know, some scholars believe that Apollos was actually the author of the book of Hebrews. No one can say for sure, but we here at Apollos Watered would like to think it's true. Hebrews is actually a single sermon, one with considerable rhetorical flair, which sounds like Apollos to us. Over and over, it keeps coming back to Jesus and even encouraging and demanding an active faith. We want to be like Apollos, and we think you should be too. And that means bold, teachable, willing to cross boundaries to reach people from different cultures, it also means available. Apollos made himself available to do what God wanted him to do, and so can you. We want to be like Apollos. Paul planted, Apollos watered, but ultimately, it's God that makes it grow. Let's be like Apollos. Let's water the faith of those around us. 
Some may plant, and you may be a planter, and then go do that. Others may help water. But ultimately, it's God that makes it grow. It's our prayer that God would use us all to water the faith of our worlds so that the good news of Jesus might go forth and God's name might increase in glory and that we might increase in joy. Well, that's it for today's episode, everybody. This show today was brought to you by our our friend and sponsor, Kathy Brothers of Keller Williams Innovate. If you're looking to buy or sell a home in the Chicagoland area, she is the woman that you need to talk to. She is incredible. She gets everything that she needs to do to help you find what you need. I would recommend giving her a call or text today at 630-201-4664. That's 630-201-4664. That's Kathy Brothers of Keller Williams Innovate. Tell her Travis sent you. That is it for today, everybody. If this has helped you so that you can saturate your world and hit that subscribe button, leave us a review, interact with us on our Facebook page, and share this episode with other people. Water your faith, water your world. This is Travis Michael Fleming signing off from Apollos Watered. Stay watered, everybody. Stay watered, everybody.